from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta. Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. For those of you who had the pleasure of being able to be away for Memorial Day weekend, welcome back to our beautiful church setting here. Good morning, my name is Sumner Case, and I am an elder currently serving on session. Please enjoy, I invite you to please join me in our call to worship. Come Holy Spirit, ignite our hearts with joy and confidence. For God has done wondrous things for us. Come, Holy Spirit, fill us with the power of the rushing wind that we may faithfully serve you in all that we do. For Christ has called each of us and blessed us. Come, Holy Spirit, be with us today. Help us to boldly proclaim Christ risen. Come, let us worship God. Listen for and hear the word of God. When the day of Pentecost has come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven, there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Never were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the 11, raised his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your older men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I also pour tents in the heaven above, and signs in the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great, the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Our second scripture reading this morning comes from the book of John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 23, which can be found on page 108 of the New Testament. Listen now for the word of the Lord. 
When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are, forgive, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. This, is the word, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Lord, break open your word afresh to us this day so that we would be different people than those who came into this sacred space this morning, uh, even to be more like your son, Jesus the Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. I suspect that if I were to uh, rattle off a group of names, band names, that you would be able to quickly identify the lead singer. I think collectively we'd probably get 100% on that. Like if I said, you too, the lead singer is Bono, right? If I say uh, Genesis, you say Phil Collins or Peter Gabriel, if you're a real fan, right? If I say Fleetwood Mac, you say Stevie Nicks, right? And if I say, this is for the younger generations, if I say Coldplay, you say Chris Martin, right? We, we know those names, right? We can immediately recognize uh, those folks as sort of the, the front men or front lady for these different bands. But not everyone can place or identify, let's say, the bass player of these bands, right? Those names are a little less familiar to us. Adam Clayton, Mike Rutherford, John McVie, Guy Berryman, names that are far from household, less known, less in the spotlight. For many Christians, the Holy Spirit is like the bass player. Right? We, we know that the band couldn't go on without them. But our focus and our attention is, is continually fixed on the front man. Theologically speaking, Jesus or, or God. And not so much on the bass player, the, the Holy Spirit. And in some ways, Pentecost is the one day in the calendar year where the bass player takes over the lead vocals. Right, where the spirit becomes the front man or front woman and gets all of our attention. I think Pentecost, however, is more than a one-day-a-year show. Pentecost, while it is fixed on our calendar each and every year to mark the birth of the Christian church, Pentecost is also a way of being. Pentecost is also a lifestyle that recognizes in a daily way, not just one day a year, but in a daily way, the presence and activity of God's very Spirit in us and through us and among us. 
When we consider this lifestyle, when we consider this daily presence and work of the, of the Spirit of God, I, I think we do well to note that the Spirit's first appearance isn't on Pentecost. Just like sometimes today the Christian church only focuses on the Holy Spirit this one day a year when we should be thinking about the Holy Spirit all the days of our lives, let us not make the mistake that, that all of a sudden one day in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes. For, for in the very beginning in Genesis, the first chapter, we're introduced to the Ruah in Hebrew. Uh, it's a, the Hebrew word for, for spirit or more specific, the Spirit of God. That the Ruah was hovering over the waters. The Ruah was present at creation. The very Spirit of God is, is, is introduced to us in Genesis 1, the very first chapter of the very first book of our scriptures. And from that point in Genesis, throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament, we are introduced to this character, to this person, to this force of, of being called the Holy Spirit, this third person of the Trinity. In the New Testament specifically, the writers, uh, and I'm thinking here really of the Gospels, the writers of the Gospels are, 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 are very intentionally connecting the work of the Spirit to the work of Jesus and the work of Jesus to the work of the Spirit. One of my professors from Princeton, Daniel Migliori, calls it a relational interdependence. That Jesus and the Holy Spirit have this unique relationship. Dr. Migliori says that, the, that, that we should be mindful that it's the Holy Spirit that, that causes this conception, this immaculate conception in the, in the woman called Mary as Jesus is born through her. At, this, at his baptism, we're told that the Spirit of God descends and remains with Jesus throughout his ministry. Jesus is anointed by the Spirit. When, when he inaugurates his ministry, he goes into the temple and he pulls out the Isaiah scroll and he says, The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor and liberation to the oppressed. In his ministry, it's the Holy Spirit that gives him the power to cast out demons and evil forces. And it's the Holy Spirit, says the Apostle Paul, that raised him from the dead. When we read the Gospels and we, we get up to that first part of Acts, we may think, oh, this Holy Spirit is, is Christ's gift alone. And yet as the story moves on, as the narrative unfolds, we realize that this is a gift that is not just Christ's. But it's his friends and his followers. In Acts 2 and in John 20, we see Jesus, we see God gifting the people with this Holy Spirit, his friends and his followers. I believe that same spirit which was breathed 2,000 years ago, which has been active since the foundations of time, is a spirit that is breathed and given to us as a gift today. I believe it is a gift that shapes us for what it means to be fully human in this world. That, that In Genesis 2, Ryan talked about it in his class this morning, in Genesis 2, that breath, that spirit is what gives Adam life. So it gives Eve life, and it's that same spirit that gives us not just the biological life, but a spiritual life, a life, as Jesus said, lived to the full. And so this morning, among many gifts that the Holy Spirit, uh, when we receive the Holy Spirit, bestows upon us, I want to focus just on two. Two specific gifts that when we receive this gift of the Holy Spirit, begin to form and shape 
what it means to be human in this world. And the first is this. In an age where uh, it seems that so much and so many stories and narratives are seeking or battling to claim or shape our identity, the Holy Spirit forms in us the knowledge of who we are. When we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, when we recognize the Spirit's work in our life, we remember who we are. In this uh, John text, the disciples are, are, are in a home and, and they've locked the doors because they're afraid of the Jewish leaders, those who, who helped put Christ on the cross. And they're in this room and the room is vacant of Christ when all of a sudden the resurrected Jesus appears and he shows up. And I imagine that, that in this particular moment, as they're once again in the company of their rabbi, their teacher, their Lord, they have a flashback to the last time they were in a home, the last time they were in a house with him when they broke bread together on the night that he was betrayed and handed over. Have you ever been in a place where you remember exactly who you are? A place where, where who you are, when you're in that place, who you are is who you want to be? When you go back there, you feel at your very best. You feel as if you're the person God has created you to be. I was talking to one of our high school students just this past week, and she's off to a camp. She's just finished her, her uh, sophomore year of high school. She's off to a camp, and, and she's ready to get out of all of this, right? She's ready to, she's ready to go to the camp. And, and, and she gets to, when she gets to this camp today, she said to me, when I step onto the grounds I love who I am in that place. I love who I am in that place. And that's who I want to be in every place. And, and I, I have this sort of parallel image in my mind that when the disciples see Jesus show up, they say, this is us at our very best. When we're not afraid, when Christ is with us and he is for us and we remember who we are that he's claimed us in this life and in the age to come. I got up on Tuesday morning and headed to my car around 5.30 a.m. to drive to the Y to get to a spin class that I occasionally take. As I grabbed the door handle of my car, I realized I had done something I never do. I left it unlocked. And as I pulled it open and the light went on in the darkness, I realized that someone had already been in my car. The glove box, the, the center console, the, 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 the sort of side shelves had been ransacked. A bunch of quarters and dimes and nickels are still missing. My golf clubs, which I accidentally left, were still in the car. But other than that, it just was much of a mess and of a hassle. And what was interesting about this experience is that I discovered some items that I thought I had lost. <laughs> I discovered some things that I thought were far gone. See, the thief went through every nook and cranny of the car and just turned everything inside out and upside down. And now everything, everything was in plain sight. So I found 
my church staff name tag. I found a CD uh, with sort of a mixtape kind of playlist from a family that, that sent it to us so that we could listen to it on our way from Pennsylvania to Atlanta when we moved three years ago. I found a receipt from an amusement park that the boys and I went to about five years ago but I still remember the rides and I still remember the joy in which we shared. These three items, among many, reminded me of who I am. They reminded me of what I'm called to do. They reminded me of who I'm called to love and to serve. Now, putting aside the fact that the person who ransacked my car was doing something illegal, I wanna use this experience as a way to talk about how the Holy Spirit sometimes works. Sometimes the Spirit comes as a soft whisper. Sometimes it comes as soft as a breath. But sometimes the Spirit comes like a violent, rushing wind. It's a wind that can penetrate doors of all kinds, even the ones that are locked. Just ask the disciples. It can even penetrate fearful hearts. And the Spirit, when active in our lives, can shake things up, can turn things inside out and upside down. But in those moments, the Spirit is not working to cause chaos. But could it be that the Spirit is working to provoke and prod our memory and knowledge of who we are? The Spirit moves so we might remember who we are and what our purpose is, where our priorities should lie, and to whom we belong. You know, friends, you may be going through a situation right now that in the midst of this situation, you're forgetting yourself. And your behaviors and your attitudes and your disposition are not who God's made you to be. Or maybe you're in a life circumstance where you feel as if you are losing yourself. Maybe it feels like you're being ransacked, or maybe you're at a crossroads, or maybe things have been pulled totally out of place. Is it possible to see the Spirit at work in that space and in that situation, moving to remind us who we are, that we're children of God, sons and daughters of the living God, that the Spirit is pointing us to the people we've been called to love and serve? And the Spirit is trying to reorder our priorities. Part of the work of the Spirit causes us to remember who we are and what our lives should be about. And I know that I'm at my very best when I know who I am. I don't know if the same is for you, but when I know who I am and I'm acting in character with who God's created me to be, I'm at my best. And you know what happens in those moments? I'm not afraid. Fear is a big part of the post-resurrection stories of the New Testament. The disciples are afraid, but when they see Jesus, when they remember who they are, fear dissipates. I believe the same is for us. That when we know and remember who we are, we live with confidence and courage. Because we know that no matter what, Christ is with us and for us by the power of his Holy Spirit. 
The second gift of the Spirit, remember I'm only talking about two among many, but the second gift of the Spirit I want to reference, and I'll close with this one, is a gift to live a life marked by peace and forgiveness. Right, when Jesus appears to his disciples, he breathes the Holy Spirit on them, and he says what? I'm sending you into the world, basically sending you to be witnesses and ambassadors of peace and forgiveness. That that is core to the Christian life. Now, we have to be honest and straightforward at this point. This always sounds good in a sermon. When a preacher says, hey, your life needs to be about peace and forgiveness, it's very churchy, it's very sermonic, it's very Sunday school, very kumbaya. Especially when it's measured against the violence and vengeance and discord and brokenness that we know in the world, outside of these walls and even inside of them. Right in the shadow of Manchester, in the shadow of Portland, the shadow of Kabul, and, and even last night with London, what's happening in our nation where we continue to splinter and, and divide and become increasingly more anxious in so many ways. Some are just becoming anxious by all the anxiety they actually see. We, we wonder what difference it makes what kind of outcomes we can change if we do live for peace and for forgiveness? I mean, what difference can we make, can one individual person make? How can we change the outcomes? And yet still the, the Spirit comes upon us and calls us to be this kind of witness, reminding us, I think, that the outcomes are not our business. The outcomes do not belong to us. The outcomes belong to God. For us, it's about faithfulness. For us, it's about being open to the Spirit to live a life of peace and forgiveness. It's about being a person who chooses each and every day to receive the Spirit and be about the business of peace, to be about the business of forgiveness. It's about being a person who's willing to say, I'm sorry, and actually mean it. It's about change by God's grace so that we break the habits, and so we don't keep doing the same things over and over and over again that are destructive. It means to offer forgiveness when we're harmed. It means to offer forgiveness to ourselves. It means to seek reconciliation even when the odds are long. The outcomes are not up to us. The outcomes are up to God. That's God's work. That's God's business. Our job, our business is faithfulness to this spirit, right? When Peter is anointed with the power of the spirit and he goes out to preach, and we heard it again from, 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 from Gavin reading it this morning from Acts chapter 2. When he goes out to preach, he's not worried about the outcomes. And, and Sarah Kate referenced it in her children's message. Later in that text, Luke says that God added to their number those who were being saved, 3,000 that day. It doesn't say the disciples grew the church. It says God did it because what Peter was concerned about was being faithful, proclaiming a gospel of peace, proclaiming a gospel of forgiveness. He was not worried about the outcomes because that's God's work. Many years ago in apartheid South Africa, a black boy and his mother were walking down the street a tall white man dressed in a black suit came toward them. And in the days of apartheid, when a black person and a white person were, were, were facing each other on a sidewalk or on a footpath, it was 
uh, obligatory for the black person to step off the sidewalk to stay in their place, to let the white person pass, and to tip their hat to the white person as a sign of respect. But on this particular day, this young boy and his mother could not step off the sidewalk quick enough when the other man, the white man, stepped off before them and he stood in place. And as the boy and and his mother began walking past him, he took off his hat and he nodded as a sign of respect to this woman. The man was Trevor Trevor, Huddleston, an Anglican priest, who was bitterly opposed to apartheid. And when the boy's mother told him that he had stepped off the sidewalk because he was a man of God, that little boy found his calling. When his mother said, he's a priest, he's a man of God, the little boy said, I want to be a priest, but even more than that, I want to be a man of God. And sure enough, that young boy grew into a man and became an Anglican bishop. His name is Desmond Tutu. The 1984 Nobel Prize winner for his work in Christian witness against apartheid. Reverend Huddleston was doing his part to be sent by God as a witness of peace and forgiveness, not thinking about the outcomes leaving that into the hands of the Spirit, leaving that in the hands of God, but but thinking about what does it mean to be faithful one person at a time. One person at a time. We can get overwhelmed. We can become afraid when we look at the world, when we look at things that are happening in our own lives. What would it mean instead of trying to take control of the outcomes that we rather used our free will to choose faithfulness to a life of peace and forgiveness one person at a time. The way Mother Teresa put it, to do small things with great love and leave the rest up to God. The invitation this day is not just to think of the Holy Spirit as the front man for one day a a year and then going back to playing bass. As God the Father, as Jesus Christ are at the front, so is the Holy Spirit moving and acting in our lives to call us to remember who we are and what we're supposed to do and inviting us to be sent into the world as ambassadors of peace and forgiveness. Peace and forgiveness, one person at a time. Amen. Friends, the gift of the Holy Spirit is not a one-day affair. It's a lifetime and a lifestyle of God's gifts being poured out upon us so that we may remember who we are and that we may live lives of peace and forgiveness one person at a time. And the knowledge of this great gift on this Pentecost day, may the very peace and forgiveness of God 
which surpasses all understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. May I live inside of you this day and every day of your life. Amen.